Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion. At pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. How is everyone doing today? Yay, fantastic. We're doing great. All right, that's great, folks. Uh, listen. I just got off the phone with Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays. Now, I believe she'll be recording a show today with Commander Payne that comes out on Fridays. I assume that's taking place. We were so busy talking about Peter Thiel, Curtis Yarvin, the intellectual dark web, the dark enlightenment, technocracy, transhumanism, and Trump that I actually forgot to ask her. But I'm working on trying to get her to come on the show when she has time to sort of clean up and fill in the blanks, you know, based on everything we've been talking about over the last couple of episodes. So I'm working on that, folks. Uh, But right now, I feel like Carrie in Homeland. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Homeland, but Carrie, the main character, whenever she would go on a uh, bipolar uh, manic depressive manic attack you know she'd get all excited she would have all of the pictures of different terrorists pinned up on her walls with thumbtacks and yarn and she'd be drawing circles and building out these giant diagrams because the further we dissect peter thiel and the web around him the more that comes up, folks, and the reason why I'm going to continue to go down this path today, let me just explain to you, is that um, we've been tur- talking about Curtis Yarvin and this ideology that he has been spreading with basically a real-world plan on how to enact this ideology. And as we've said, he is quite an important character. Uh, He was funded by Peter Thiel. He watched the 2016 election results with Peter Thiel. So this is not just some fat kid in his mom's basement picking his nose and playing World of Warcraft and spouting this off to his three friends inside of a Reddit room. No, no. This guy 
wields influence, folks. And he's talking to some very instrumental players in this space. He has uh, had his ideologies, his writings uh, adopted by, regurgitated by Peter Thiel candidates, Blake Masters and J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance worked for Peter Thiel. Blake Masters worked for Peter Thiel, works for Peter Thiel still as the president of the Thiel Foundation, as well as uh, chief operating officer of Thiel Capital, his investment group. So the reason why we've got to talk about this and have a serious discussion about this and continue to deep dive into this is because we're talking about technocratic transhumanism here. And we peg Peter Thiel as one of the most powerful, influential, wealthy, technocratic transhumanists today. I think we've proven that through the several episodes where we uh, dedicated them exclusively to Peter Thiel. And trust me, folks, we just hit the tip of the iceberg. There is so much more to Peter Thiel. But he is this big powerful government contractor an oligarch a transhumanist a technocrat and he is making moves to bring this stuff into politics uh you have elon musk who i believe frankly is a minion of peter thiel uh who is focused on bringing this stuff out to the masses through pop culture, through Joe Rogan, through looking like Tony Stark, the Iron Man. So I think this is starting to shape up here. But everything that needs to be accomplished has to be done inside of this public-private partnership sphere. And so you have to have the public sector on board and the private sector on board. And, And now you see Peter Thiel navigating his way into the public sector through politics before he's already in the public sector because he has so many companies uh, that have so many different government contracts he's embedded in almost every government agency if not all of them with a variety of his companies okay i pulled up a couple of more for you i don't even know if i need to show you those examples but now you have him getting involved with politics and the messages of curtis yarvin who some have called the yuval noah harari of the dark enlightenment coming out through his chosen candidates blake masters and jd vance and now you have Trump on board with this. At the same time, we know that Curtis Yarvin, if you listen to episode 72, is calling for Trump to run as the technocratic monarch, the technocracy's king, and try to popularize this idea of having a king who uproots the constitutional republic and just gets rid of the current form of government doesn't restore our founding but puts into place a new government basically a technocracy run by a king and then you have um trump son-in-law jared kushner coming out and saying that he's a transhumanist that he would be part of the first generation to live forever the last generation to die which is you know transhumanism and then you have yesterday and let me show you what happened here folks and 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 we're going to go into a lot of directions tonight and i'm going to show you also the theory that i talked to you about about dick cheney's uh like basically his career dream was to prove that the president had ultimate power and uh i just have a sneaking suspicion that this will come back up 
as these guys make moves to push forward with Curtis Yarvin's idea of a technocratic king, a monarch. They're not going to come out and tell you that the government will be a technocracy. That's already being put in place by the private sector. And the private sector being embedded inside of the government through companies such as Palantir, started with CIA money, but then owned by Peter Thiel, that is now embedded in almost every government agency. We've covered this in depth on this show. But I'm going to work towards, uh, I'm going to work towards showing you how this all connects. And so we'll, we'll have, over the coming episodes, the merger of technocracy and transhumanism, which I started to lay out a couple of episodes ago for you to show you how those two converge. One is the control of the uh, production and the means of distribution via the scientists and engineers, and the other is basically the control of the human body of bio, biology via the scientists and engineers. And so you have those two schools of thought converging, and at the same time now, you have this whole uh, idea of this monarch rising and then leading this technocracy. And as Yarvin has suggested, he wants to see Donald Trump run under this idea of being a monarch get elected which will then prove that there is a mandate by the people to have a king it's it's all coming i know it sounds crazy folks but these are not our theories i mean these people openly talk about this stuff everything that we gather comes from uh publicly sourced intelligence now yeah on this show i've shared personal examples of Conferences I've been at, conversations I've had, technology I've seen, uh, emails back and forth with companies like Artificial Intelligence Foundation. Yeah, that's all my personal stuff, which just adds to the publicly sourced, publicly available intelligence. But this is all out there. Now, tomorrow, I will be on Mike Moore's show, the Thomas Paine podcast. Well, actually, I don't know if it comes out tomorrow, Friday. I will be interviewed uh, by Mike on everything we've done here in the first 73 episodes. And then I don't know if that's going to air over the weekend or air on Monday. I'll find out, and I'll see if he'll give it to me so I can repost it here at the Dustin Gold Standard. So hopefully we'll be able to tie some of this together and then finally get Mike's feedback and let him fill in the blanks on the scams and schemes and surface-level stuff that he's been following. So it's all coming together, folks. We're trying to figure out what these guys are up to And uh, then when we see certain moves happen, we'll be able to understand where the hell they're going with this stuff. I mean, there's definitely major moves in the works. It seems like this is a perfect storm and all the pieces are coming together, folks. All right, let me just show you this. Several of you have uh, tweeted this at me, shared it with me. Maria Albanese did. Some folks on pain.tv shared this. So there's many of you who are watching this. So anyway, Tucker Carlson for the Fox Nation app comes out with this documentary he is credited with producing called The Candidate, Blake Masters. All right, so you have Tucker Carlson here, every mainstream conservative's uh, trading card hero, as Mike would call him, produces this special on Blake Masters, who is Peter Thiel's guy. We're going to get into this a little deeper tonight, but he is Peter Thiel's guy. 
And Tucker Carlson also has interviewed Curtis Yarvin. So Tucker Carlson, who used to identify as libertarian, I don't know what he does now, if he calls himself a conservative, a Trumpist, whatever he is, Tucker Carlson helps elevate these technocratic transhumanists uh, that come out of the Peter Thiel camp to the mainstream conservative base that watches Fox News. On the other side, you have people like Joe Rogan who helped normalize technocratic transhumanism by bringing people like Elon Musk on the show or the Weinstein brothers that come out of, they all come out of the Thiel camp. Remember, Peter Thiel was the don of the PayPal mafia. Elon Musk was part of the PayPal mafia. Another guy I'm looking into now, David Sachs, was part of the PayPal mafia. And Sachs is a dangerous player in this too. But Peter Thiel was the don, okay, of the PayPal mafia. That's where they all made their money, supposedly. That's how they all got started. And now Thiel's invested in several, if not all, of Elon Musk companies. He gave a lot of the seed money to these companies, which all operate on government contracts and subsidies. See, they're, they're all tied into the government, floated by the government. We've showed that. They're just welfare queens. So when these guys are talking about conservatism or libertarianism, uh, they're, they're full of it, folks, because they're not about being fiscally conservative. They're definitely not social conservatives. I mean, they're working to engineer humanity out of existence. And they're not libertarians. I mean, at least by definition, they're not for liberty. They're not for freedom. They work for the government building prison planet technology to enslave all of us. I mean, how is that libertarian in any sense of the word? So anyway, Tucker Carlson puts this together, this uh, candidate Blake Masters documentary. And you guys send me over this clip. And the clip features... Donald Trump, at some point, talking to Blake Masters and asking him if Peter Thiel had ponied up the cash. Now, I want to just skip forward for a second. For those of you who don't know, and we'll get back to this in one second, don't worry. But for those of you who know, Blake Masters is running for United States Senate. I am on the Trump slash GOP email list. It's one and the same now. I've tried to get off it going all the way back to like 2018, and for some reason I just keep getting emails. I probably get 15 to 20 emails per day promoting Blake Masters, okay? Begging for money for Blake Masters. And it always says President Trump endorses him. This email signed by President Trump. So Trump is giving his permission for them to market uh, Blake Masters. So just up up on the screen, I have BlakeMasters.com, his website, just for those of you that don't know, okay? And when I get back from the break, I will show you Blake Masters' uh, connections to Peter Thiel. This is not a conspiracy theory. It's right out in the open. Nobody hides this. He is uh, one of Thiel's guys. And it's very, very important that you understand this because Blake Masters is instrumental in helping push Curtis Yarvin's theories forward and now at the same time we have donald trump on the phone through this tucker carlson interview talking to blake masters about peter thiel 
And so you have Tucker Carlson pushing this technocratic transhumanist movement because that's what Peter Thiel is pushing here. And now you have Donald Trump connected, while at the same time, Curtis Yarvin, who's basically this Yuval Noah Harari behind Peter Thiel, when it comes to politics and how to push the technocratic transhumanist regime onto the American public through the political side, you have all these guys connected now, and Yarvin wants Trump to be the one to do it. And now it's just kind of all coming together, folks. At some point, I am literally going to have to break out the Glenn Beck chalkboard, if you remember the old days of Glenn Beck, and start drawing circles all over it, like Carrie from Homeland over in the little studio I'm setting up across the way that I'm going to finish as soon as the baby's born. And I'm going to have to break out the chalkboard and start standing there and connecting all these dots together because this stuff is getting to be crazy i'm finally starting to figure out how the hell they're going to do this folks all right ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, I heard a little glitch there, so if the audio cut out for a second, that's just the old system. Eventually, when we start generating some revenue, I'm going to put a whole new system together. But, all right, this is coming together, folks. And I'm sorry if uh, I don't come across as coherent as I normally am because I'm trying to do this not on the fly. uh, But I don't script these shows. I want these type of shows that I do to be sort of live research and how I'm working through this stuff in real time you get to understand my thought process as i'm trying to sort of engineer slash reverse engineer war game what these guys are up to folks and i i don't want to burst anyone's bubble but i think anyone listening to this show knows i don't believe in the right left paradigm i am pretty much post politics um I think the terms conservative, liberal, libertarian are so blurred, no one knows what they mean anymore. There aren't any leaders that are actually fighting for any of those things. It is all just basically one system. And what I see creeping in is technocratic transhumanism, and it's coming from all sides. And there's a lot of chaos involved in this, folks. Remember, Curtis Yarvin talks about creating this chaos period after the king wins the election and then fires everyone in the government. But remember, from chaos comes order, and generally a dictator rises. Only this time, Yarvin is not holding back on telling you that's exactly what the plan is. All right, let me just show you this stuff on Blake Masters and get this out of the way before we play the clip of Masters talking to Donald Trump on the phone. In case some of you haven't seen that, I am going to play it, all right? It says here, Blake Gates Masters is an American venture capitalist, political candidate, and author. I'm over at wikipedia.com. But I've read a lot about uh, Masters over the last few days, so 
Um, this this stuff is accurate. It says, frequently referred to as a protege of Peter Thiel, Masters co-wrote Zero to One notes on startups or how to build the future with Thiel in 2014. Now, that's very important. I don't want to go off on that tangent right now, but Zero to One is a very important book, all right? There is an entire sector of people, a whole group of young entrepreneurs, young technologists that have read Zero to One. So outside of our world, Peter Thiel is very well known. I mean, right here in the Dustin Gold Standard, you know who Peter Thiel is. And if you talk to sort of a mainstream conservative, they might recognize Peter Thiel's name, maybe his picture as the guy who backed Trump or as the guy who's backing Trump-supported candidates, but they won't know everything that we know. Well, in this world of young entrepreneurs, Peter Thiel is very well known, and it's because of this book, Zero to One. A lot of entrepreneurs from all sides of the political spectrum uh respect peter thiel's investing strategies and how to build companies and it's because zero to one and i'm going to get into a little bit of that later for you uh because it is important to understand that how he is influencing people and getting them on his side and then anyone within that world who respects him will research him and they'll end up falling in love with technocracy and transhumanism and the rest of this stuff. He is basically pushing his brand out through politics, through candidates, through podcasts, uh, through books into different communities, folks. It says, again, Masters co-wrote Zero to One, Notes on Startups or How to Build the Future with Thiel in 2014, based on notes Masters had taken at Stanford Law School in 2012. Stanford Law School is where Peter Thiel went to as well, okay? Masters was later chief operating officer of Thiel's investment firm, Thiel Capital, and also president of the Thiel Foundation. Now, Thiel Capital, uh, Founders Fund, you know, these investment arms, Peter Thiel, we've showed you a lot of the companies that he's invested in. So this guy was the chief operating officer of Thiel Capital, all right? It includes all those companies that are government partners, some of which started with CIA money. I don't wanna get into all that today because we've covered that in past episodes. And it says also president of the Thiel Foundation. Now, the Thiel Foundation, folks, controls the Thiel Fellowship. We went over that in detail on the show on several different episodes. And through that, Thiel basically puts up $100,000. If you'll drop out of college, you enter basically a Thiel incubator where you work on these companies. And then in a lot of cases, he'll come in as the initial investor and own a piece of your company. And so we went over Do Not Pay, the AI-driven lawyer company. We went into 28, the organization in which Peter Thiel is working to get a hold of women's menstrual cycle data. We got into the gentleman who created Ethereum, came out of uh, this, this group as well. There's a lot of people that come out of Thiel's foundation. So this guy was the president of that. Blake Masters was the president. So he co-writes a book on uh, entrepreneurial strategy with Thiel 
He is the COO of Thiel's investment firm, Thiel Capital, and then president of the Thiel Foundation. So basically, this guy is the protege of Peter Thiel, all right? Masters is the Republican Party nominee in 2022 U.S. Senate election in Arizona, having defeated State Attorney General Mark Brnovich and businessman Jim Lamon in the August 2nd primary. Throughout his campaign, he has aligned himself with Thiel and former President Donald Trump, both of whom endorsed him in June 2022. As of July 2022, Thiel spent $15 million in support of Masters' campaign. All right, so there you go. Is there any question whatsoever that this 36-year-old venture capitalist and author, Blake Masters, is not basically the clone, the protege of Peter Thiel? All right, that's proven at this point. And he has the backing of Donald Trump. The endorsement of Trump, the Trump GOP marketing machine constantly promote Trump uh, endorsing Blake Masters while they're raising funds. All right. Let's just see if there's anything else here. I don't think so. It says Masters was born in Denver, Colorado in 1986, the son of Maryland, who ran a tutoring center, and Scott Masters, who worked in the software industry. He grew up in Tucson, Arizona, and high school Masters attended Greenfield's Country Day School, which was at the same time a private school in Tucson where he played basketball. He graduated in 2004. Masters received a bachelor's degree in political science from Stanford University in 2008. He then earned a JD from Stanford University in law school in 2012. So I will hear that regurgitated by my father, a Tucker Carlson Fox News conservative. He will tell me what a great guy he was because he played basketball. And he'll probably tell me how smart he is and he's fighting for America. He's a true patriot. Oh, yeah, we will hear that, folks. Uh, It says, chat room and blog post controversy. Yeah, let's read a little of this. It says, as a teenage undergraduate, Masters expresses political views on a CrossFit chat room and live journal blog in a 2006 essay obliquely criticizing the war in Iraq on the libertarian site lewrockwell.com. I actually have a guest who writes for them who was supposed to come on. We'll see what happens. Master decried U.S. entry into World War One and described a quote from Nazi war criminal Hermann Goring on the uh, suspectability of the masses to incitements of war as being, quote, particularly representative and poignant. End quote. He also endorsed conspiracy theorist G. Edward Griffin's claim that the, quote, houses of Morgan and Rothschild, end quote, were linked to the sinking of the Lusitania. All right, so this guy's all over. He was playing around in, in this world. Uh, I don't know how he ended up with the uh, chief organizer of technocratic transhumanism, but... <laughs> That's what we're getting into, folks. It says, during his college years, Masters contended that Iraq and al-Qaeda were not, quote, substantial threats to Americans, end quote, calling for, quote, unrestricted immigration, end quote, and an isolationist foreign policy. Unrestricted immigration and an isolationist foreign policy. I never understood how the two of those go together. That basically means you want to lock out all these countries and then flood your country with all of their people so that what 7.7 billion people will be here inside of the united states really doesn't work but on his 2006 writings masters told the jewish insider in 2002 
or sorry, 2022, quote, I was 19 writing in opposition to the Iraq war stance that turned out to be uh, present. I went too far and stated that no recent American wars have been just, end quote. He added, quote, I suppose it was only a matter of time before I got called anti-Semitic for criticizing wartime propaganda in an essay I wrote as a teenager, end quote. Masters Post become a political issue. After they were unearthed during his 2022 Senate campaign, the Anti-Defamation League criticized him and Masters' primary rival Jim Lamone ran television ads highlighting the post. Now, okay, so he writes some stuff as a kid. Well, you know, you let that slide, whatever. Take it for what it is. Uh, But as you see here, even in Wikipedia, uh, what they are leaving out is his involvement with... uh, basically backing technocratic transhumanism but nobody's going to delve into that except for us over here and he is pushing that because he's the coo of Thiel's company that is making the investments in all these companies running these companies and at the same time running the Thiel foundation and therefore the Thiel fellowship which is putting money into backing all these companies involved with technocratic transhumanism and at the same time being involved with the military industrial complex and the government, you know, up to their eyeballs. Uh, Let's just see if there's a little more in here. It says, work with Peter Thiel and political involvement. Master spent four months in 2010 as a law clerk for a U.S. attorney's office. In January 2011, he met Thiel at Stanford Law School. They exchanged emails with each other a year later, and Thiel invited Masters to attend a class he was to teach in spring 2012. Masters would post detailed notes from Thiel's lectures on a blog, which grew popular within the tech community. Renditions of Masters' notes repeated uh, reappeared online, promoting Masters to get in contact with Thiel about compiling them into a book. Zero to One was released in September 2014 and received warm reviews from The Atlantic and Publishers Weekly. According to Politico, the book portrayed, quote, globalization as the enemy of innovation, end quote. Masters was included on Forms 30 Under 30 list in 2014. Now, okay, so globalization as the enemy of innovation. All right, and that's what they portray. But at the end of the day, you're going to see this is the technocracy is a global form of government. It goes on to say Masters co-founded uh, Judicata, a legal research service in 2013. The website officially launched in 2017 through Masters left the project in 2014. The website was acquired by fast case in 2022 after meeting Theo masters went to work for him becoming chief operating officer of the investment firm Theo capital and president of the Theo foundation field chose masters and other employees to assist in presidential transition of donald trump in november 2016 so see there's Thiel choosing masters and other employees to help assist in the presidential transition this one was when Thiel was actively involved with trump It says in October 2019, Masters suggested he would launch a primary challenge against Republican U.S. Senator Martha McSally, expressing concern McSally was not a good candidate and criticizing her loss in the 2018 election, which Masters said was a winnable race. In January 2022, Masters said he would not run against McSally. In March 2022, Masters resigned from his positions at Thiel's investment firm and foundation to campaign in the 2022 Arizona Senate race. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to leave that 
where it is folks and you can go further down the wikipedia if you want to read about the campaign uh political views uh and then that kind of stuff but it really doesn't matter what i wanted to just show you is how deeply rooted blake masters is into the peter thiel inner circle all right and this is going to be very important because as we know blake masters has also been inspired by the political ideologies of curtis yarvin who was also funded uh, by the- uh, peter thiel and has the ear of peter thiel as you're starting to see this is the network of people around peter thiel who we have already showed you is highly influential powerful and wealthy folks i'll be right back from this break i'm dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard On pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. Thank you, folks, for tuning into this show. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts and a comment. All right, that's the only time I'm going to say that on this show. And for those of you who have joined pain.tv slash gold to get access to the ad-free video version of this podcast and the Thomas Payne podcast, and those of you who have joined the Hotwire, where you get access to Mike Moore's highest level of intelligence, I thank you very much from the very bottom of my heart. Trust me, folks, I do. My wife and I both appreciate that very much. All right, so we understand a little bit about Blake Masters obviously being the protege to Peter Thiel, right? So let's just listen to this clip here that is on uh, Fox Nation under Tucker Carlson's originals, his production. And this is from The Candidate, Blake Masters. It was published a couple of days ago. And this is a clip a lot of you sent me, and I'm going to play it for those of you who have not heard it. This is a clip where Donald Trump calls him on the phone in this documentary. Mr. President, how are you, sir? Doing great. Because I got a lot of complaints about that. I don't know what you did with the debate, but I heard you did great on the debate, but a bad election answer. You got a lot of support. You got to stay with those people. Absolutely, we stay with those people. And it was a pleasure to put Mark Kelly on the ropes. Yeah, no, he, he didn't, he's terrible and you were excellent. He's terrible, you are excellent, you're the greatest, you're awesome, you're unbelievable, so great, so great. Thank you. How do you feel, how do you feel about you, how you doing? It's great, we've got the momentum, I think the race is tied right now. And you know, the debate showed all the, all the rhinos in D.C. They wanted to say, oh, Blake's unelectable, and then I just stomped Kelly. So I think now even the... Uh, terrible. 
Well, let's just pause this for a second. So you hear Blake Masters use the uh, bumper sticker slogan, okay? Rhinos, right? Republicans in name only, R-I-N-O. I see people still writing it like a rhino, like a rhinoceros. It's R-I-N-O. It came from Rush, Rush Limbaugh. Uh, excellence in broadcasting with talent on loan from God. And it's rhino, R-I-N-O, Republican in name only. Meaning that you were a conservative, more conservative than the other Republicans. And then it kind of warped into the rhinos were the neoconservatives. <laughs> we could get into all this stuff, the history of this stuff, folks, but it really doesn't matter. What I'm saying is he's using this catchphrase rhino, which then makes him appear to be conservative. But as I've, I've showed you, you know, he, he took $15 million that we know of from Peter Thiel. He's Thiel's protege. Protege of a man who is not a conservative yet calls himself a conservative libertarian. Now, you can walk around and call yourself Santa Claus, but if you're not Santa Claus, you're not Santa Claus. You can call yourself a conservative, but if you openly support uh, pro-choice infanticide or late-term abortion, you are not a conservative. You can't call yourself a conservative. And so what has happened folks under this new right under this punk rock conservatism under trumpism is that we have opened the floodgates to bring in all these people that call themselves maga or a trump supporter or QAnon or whatever it is and then you say that you expanded the tent well, if you've watered down what you were in order to expand your tent, you've expanded your tent and filled it with nothing more than what was your enemy yesterday. Just because a communist or a fascist puts on the proverbial MAGA hat does not make them a traditional conservative. We're going to get into more of this, maybe tonight, uh, definitely with Maria Albanese. And I'm going to show you something that we went over a couple of weeks ago that Peter Thiel has said. Uh, it was a few weeks ago, actually. He said it at the Edmund Burke National Conservatism Conference. Uh, and, and you will see what I'm talking about. But I think, and I'll go back in time and explain this maybe tonight so that you understand what I'm talking about. That we literally took our tent and filled it with a bunch of people that you would normally consider to be your enemy so blake masters if he is supporting the ideas of curtis yarvin which is the rise of technocracy which is communism it is communism that is managed by eventually artificial intelligence in the meantime the scientists and engineers that write the algorithms right and transhumanism which is the engineering of humanity out of existence because it's a known fact that this guy is running strictly on peter thiel's you know he will be peter thiel's henchman as he has been his entire career he is no conservative therefore he is not fighting against any rhinos at least from the point of conservatism he is supporting technocracy which is communism and then the rise of this technocratic king that curtis jarvis wants which is fascism so this technocracy under the king is fascist communism. That's what it is, folks. It is. It is communism run by an authoritarian. All right, let's continue with this. 
You were great. He was terrible. Is uh, Peter Thiel helping much or what happened? He is. Yeah, you hear that right there? Is Peter Thiel helping much? This is Donald Trump asking Blake Masters if Peter Thiel is helping much. Let's continue. You were great. He was terrible. Is uh, Peter Thiel helping much or what happened? He is. A little bit more behind the scenes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. But uh, money's flowing in now. A little bit behind the scenes, but the money is flowing in now. That's what Blake Masters says. And then Trump is more of like in his relaxed mode. Is Peter Thiel, did he send the money? Did he do it? Is he doing it? Is Peter Thiel helping? Okay, great, great, great. It's me. Oh, believe me, he'll do it. Oh, is he sending some money now? He's giving you a bio? I think so. And I think, I think, uh, I think it's going to flow in now. I tell Peter to help you. Help, help. <laughs> I will, I'll tell him. Tell Peter to help you. Tell Peter to do it. Now, as we know up to this point, and I double-check this, uh, at least based on the last filings and money that's public, folks, you can't track everything. If it comes through 501c4s, the money is hidden, and then it usually will go into the 501c4. That's where they'll hide it. So let's just use Peter Thiel for an example. He could put $50 million into a 501c4. They don't have to report who gave him the money then technically by law 50% of that money could be used to go into a PAC because it can go into politics then they bring it into a PAC or a super PAC and then that money could be used in support to run ads and stuff pay bills things like that for someone like Blake Masters so you can hide money going through the 501c4 and then shoot it over to the super PAC or the PAC the PAC has to say where it came from but you would see 50 let's say you put 100 million into the 501c4 uh, called Blake Masters is awesome 501c4 and then you can have Blake Masters is awesome PAC political action committee so 100 million goes into the 501c4, 50 million goes over to the PAC, and then when that PAC spends the money, they're reporting it came from Blake Masters 501c4, so you never get to see who the original donor was. That's how they launder all this money without being caught. All right, let's continue. You said that. One yard line. Yeah. If you want to get across the line, you got to go stronger in that one thing. Just, that was the one thing you had a lot of complaints about. Look at Carrie. Carrie's winning with very little money. And if they say, how is your family? She says the election was rigged and stolen. You'll lose if you go soft. You're going to lose it. Okay, so what Trump is telling him to do here, uh, during Blake Masters' debate when this happened, he did not go strong on the election was stolen. And so Trump wants him to hammer home on the election was stolen, saying that will help you. Now, one of the reasons why I think uh, someone like, let's say, Blake Masters is not on board with that. I, I, I'm just thinking about this strate- strategically. I said to you that if you run with this narrative that the election was stolen, then what happens is if all people lose hope in the election because they say to themselves, well, wait, if Trump was president and he couldn't stop the election from being stolen, how the hell is he going to stop the election from being stolen when he's not president? And so you don't want this idea that the election was stolen out there. If the job is then to run Trump or anyone else for president, running under the campaign that he's going to be this technocratic monarch or this benevolent dictator, 
and you need the people to see that he wins rightfully so that then there's a mandate to move forward with ushering in this technocratic monarch. Okay, so the, the two won't work. I'm just thinking out loud here. And maybe that's why the Thielback people aren't pushing this idea. All right, let's continue. I'm not going soft. I've never come in to do a rally where the person loves no, I'm, I'm just sure we're going to beat this guy. You take care of yourself and uh, you're going to be uh, you're going to be a rocket ship tomorrow. You watch. Have a good time, Blake. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, Mr. President. Bye bye. So long, man. Bye. You're going to be a rocket ship? I didn't think I went soft. All right, so there you go, folks. That's the clip that all of you guys have been sending to me, and I appreciate it very much. But you hear right there Trump is saying, is Peter Thiel helping you? You know, tell him to give you the money, more money, more money. And so you've got Trump there pushing Peter Thiel money, technocrat money, transhumanist money into the pocket, into the campaign of Blake Masters, who we already know is a protege of Peter Thiel. But there you go. You have the former president pitching uh blake masters to tell peter thiel which trump knew this would be on the record he was not recorded without the permission of donald trump to push peter thiel out there make peter thiel into this big backer of conservatism by creating this idea that blake masters is the conservative running against the rhinos all right folks you see how this works it's all shaping up when we get back more on this i am dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to Payne.TV slash gold. And this is the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks. So we got that stuff out of the way. You understand who Blake Masters is. You know his connections to Peter Thiel. You now see Donald Trump right there, not just in campaign emails, but telling him he supports him, telling him to get Peter Thiel to start sending him more money. So you've got all that stuff uh, lined up there. There's the proof of that. So it's connected now. Peter Thiel, Trump, Blake Masters, all in line there, folks. All connected. Now, I want to bring you back real quick. I'm going to start introducing just pieces of uh, evidence here as we start building this case, trying to figure out what the blueprint is, folks. And so I'm going to play this this piece real quick. We covered it about a month ago. It was a couple days after this had uh, actually occurred in real life. And this is the Edmund Burke National Conservatism Conference. Now, let's just listen here because Peter Thiel speaks. And I just want to play the first 30 seconds of this, folks. Here we go. It's always a little bit hard to know exactly how, how I would def- define our movement. I, you know, I think it's, uh, it, is, uh, it is strikingly heterogeneous. It's not- Okay, it's strikingly heterogeneous, all right, folks? Now, let's just look real quick. Heterogeneous right here, it means diverse in character 
or content. So when he is talking about our movement, our movement, he's speaking at the National Conservatism Conference. Now, let me just let him finish up this thought. And that's all we really need. This is all we're going to focus on. I, I played some of this for you before, so I don't want to uh, go over the entire thing again. You can go back, just look in the search for the Peter Thiel episodes. Uh, but here we go. Let me just play this one more time. It's always a little bit hard to know exactly how, how I would def- define our movement. I, I, you know, I think it's, uh, it, is, uh, it is strikingly heterogeneous. It's not, uh, it is, we're not, you know, the other side are the imperial stormtroopers, where it's all sort of in, in lockstep. And we are not, you know, we're not some sort of, you know, hippy-dippy burning man camp. We're not even some lame, happy-clappy church. You know, we are, uh, we're sort of more like this sort of ragtag rebel alliance. And, uh, you know, it's, the diversity is extreme. Maybe it's too much, maybe it's just right. But, you know, it's, it's everything from, you know, Princess Leah to, you know, the, the slightly uh, on the spectrum policy wonk uh, C-3PO person to, you know, perhaps, uh, perhaps a little bit overrepresented by, uh, by uh, the various teenage Chewbacca people uh, here. You know, I, I personally like to identify with Han Solo. He's, you know, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's sort of the capitalist in the group, but, uh, and then, you know, and then, you know, I'm, you can probably extend the analogy in all sorts of ways. Uh, President Trump is Obi-Wan, you know. The, the, more, uh, when, the more they strike him down, the more powerful he becomes. Okay, so that, that's all we need right there, folks. So what he's doing is he's explaining this, uh, well, I don't know, folks, what would you call it? He's saying the movement. It's hard to explain the movement. Is he talking about the conservative movement? Is he talking about the libertarian movement? Is he talking about the contrarian movement? He calls himself a contrarian, someone who generally goes against the grain. What is he referring to? Is he referring to the Republican Party? Is he referring to the Silicon Valley oligarchs? Is he referring to the government contractors, of which he is? Is he referring to the investment community? Well, he can't be referring to the conservative movement because the conservative movement would be defined by a set of values, as we've spoke about here on the show. You would have your sort of uh, fiscal conservatives you would have your social conservatives and then under each of those banners you would have 10 bullet points that define each of them and so you can't really be a ragtag army of all of these different things if you do not support the ideological principles behind the idea of conservatism the same would go for libertarianism right you would have a defined set of values. And libertarians and conservatives may share some values, but they differ on a lot of them. So he can't be referring to that. What he is referring to, folks, is what he has been instrumental in creating, which is the new right. And the new right is what Curtis Yarvin has been instrumental in helping create, Right, while he has the ear and money from Peter Thiel. And the new right is anything but conservative or libertarian. It advocates, as we've said, for a monarch, for a dictator, for a king. There is nothing in conservatism 
or libertarianism that advocates for a king. There is also nothing in conservatism or libertarianism that advocates for communism, which is what technocracy is, the control of the means of production and the distribution of goods by an unelected class comprised of the scientists, engineers, and technologists. So all he could be referring to when he is saying there is this ragtag army of hippy-dippy people, capitalists, policy wonks, nerds, hipsters, whatever else you throw into the group, now there's, you know, gays with nipple tassels on and trannies on skateboards. I mean, everything you could imagine. He could only be referring to the new right. Now, let me just use this as an opportunity to take us back in time. You know, and up on the screen, I have this heterogeneous. That's what he said. We're heterogeneous. That's the only way he could describe the movement, diverse in character or content. Now, when Donald Trump ran in 2015-16, as someone like myself who understood, I, I would put myself at the top, Somewhere between two and five percent, uh, yeah, two to five percent, you know, who who understood politics, history, modern politics, and was able to try to see and understand what Trump was actually doing. And, and the brilliance that I found at the time was that he was harnessing the. Tea Party conservatives, the older folks, World War II era folks, I had worked with a lot of them in my political grassroots stuff that that took place before Obama got into office. But I saw that these people were generally against national debt, uh, increased taxes, stuff that was going to harm their kids who were of working age they were retired or their grandkids that were up and coming they didn't they didn't like this idea of piling debt onto their grandkids and so he harnessed the concerns of the tea party conservatives which had grown uh for a decade basically almost a decade eight years before trump uh was really campaigning and so you took that movement and then you combined it trump was combining it with harnessing the blue collar working class union type democrats who were left behind by the democrat party with the rise of the whacked out woke progressives and so you would have this blue collar working class group of people that generally going all the way back to say world war ii sided with the democrats because the Democrats were seen as the party of the working man. Unions were seen as good. They were protecting the worker against the evil capitalist. I mean, you could believe in this stuff or not, but this is generally how things were defined back then. This was the mainstream narrative. So Trump was able to take these blue-collar working-class union types that were left behind by the unions and the Democrat Party because they embraced the policies of these woke, whacked-out progressives. And so Trump said, listen, I'm going to protect the working man. So he pulled it in these blue-collar working-class folks, combined them with the Tea Party folks, and then he was able to pull everyone in between them and build a movement 
a nationalist movement. There's nothing wrong with nationalism. A nationalist movement, we were going to build the wall to protect the American worker. We were going to start making products here again. Made in America, folks. Made in the USA. Made in the USA. And so he got everyone on board, and I thought that was truly brilliant. Now, what started to grow out of the Trump sort of behind-the-scenes dark projects and the world of social media is you started to see the rise of influencers like Milo Yiannopoulos. If those of you who, who never heard of Milo Yiannopoulos, you can look him up. He was basically like a character that Sasha Baron Cohen would play. Uh, he's famous for playing Borat. And also had a character named Bruno, who was like a gay Austrian TV star. That was pretty much what Milo was in real life. And then you had sort of these more extreme, you know, influencer, very well-branded characters like Gavin McGinnis. You had a gentleman named Baked Alaska. And a lot of these people you can tie back to, uh, you can tie back to Peter Thiel. You can tie back to Steve Bannon. And so there, there were people like myself who generally grew out of a traditional conservative ideology who got excited about, and as I mentioned yesterday, this idea of conservatism being the new punk rock. And you heard a lot of that messaging coming out of Alex Jones out of InfoWars. Conservatism is the new punk rock. Get on board with it. Alex Jones here, InfoWars, PrisonPlanet.com. But you... Um, you had this idea coming out of Paul Joseph Watson, who grew out of InfoWars. And before you know it, there was this groundswell of, of people popping up everywhere that later we find out a lot of them were influencers. But you had Candace Owens, you had Terrence Williams. So now you had this movement that was growing or appeared to be an organic movement of young black folks and gay folks and tranny folks and people that said they were on the left and they were part of the walk away campaign yesterday they were a left wing for abortion and today they're with donald trump right you heard so much of this so generally the conservatives people who identified as conservative mainstream conservatives traditionalists they just I think questioned it at first. These were kind of freaks of nature that they would normally reject. But once these people put on not even the proverbial MAGA hat at the time, but the literal red MAGA cap, you all of a sudden accepted them. And what was happening was if you were a diehard Red Sox fan your entire life, but then all of a sudden you put on one Yankees pinstripe. Will the Yankee fans accept you and not beat the crap out of you in the parking lot? Probably not, but in this case, it was happening. And so I saw this occurring at the time I was doing my Trump impersonation character, as I mentioned yesterday, so I was in and around a lot of podcasts. I went to a lot of rallies, and I saw this movement growing but what i had feared as someone who was really vested in this and this idea of building the wall that was my main concern i started to see the old world concept of conservatism being diluted by a circus by a circus that was being built and i really didn't understand who was behind this and what the purpose of this new circus was or some people would call it the new right when i get back more on this ladies and gentlemen we are going to pick this apart and try to get to the bottom 
of what exactly happened and where this is going. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold right here on the Dustin Gold Standard. And you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, so so what I'm getting at here, folks, this is this is very important. I didn't go write a long dissertation on this. I don't have a script I'm following. I'm just speaking from you know my heart on this. But what I saw happen. And, and again, I was in and around it um, on social media. So I got to see the Twitter movement and Twitter was the place to be, you know, Twitter and Reddit, you know, 4chan started to grow. So I got to see the social media side of it. But as I told you, I was on Infowars a few times in my Trump character uh, once as myself. So I was following a lot of Infowars to see when they were talking about places where I could text them and go, hey, can I come on the show? It would fit in there. Uh, At the same time, I was doing uh, podcasting every day with uh, Halsey English. And so I would come on and commentate on all this stuff. I was going to Trump rallies dressed as Trump. So I got to see real people in real life. On the night of the uh, inauguration, I was in Washington, D.C., and I showed up as Trump uh, for the Deplorable, which was at the National Press Club. That was actually on my birthday, January 19th, the day before the inauguration. That was the one I told you Gavin McGinnis was there, Mike Cernovich, Jack Posobiec, all those characters, uh, Sheriff David Clark. So I got um, made a lot of contacts for my comedy stuff. And then the next night I performed at a Deplorable. It was hosted by the Gays for Trump. And I'll be honest, folks, I was like, this is so weird. I can't believe I'm actually at a Gays event. Uh, But this was it. This was the rise, the beginning of the new right. But deep inside, um, I was saying to myself, well, if we build this coalition, and again, for me, the important part was building the wall. That had always been my issue was border security and ending all of this corruption connected to illegal immigration and stop going and interfering in these people's countries and Central America and Mexico and South America and creating upheaval and then bringing them into this country. I thought a lot of that was going to be exposed and talked about. So I said, well, if it takes gays and trannies and people in leather clad pants and all this stuff to get this done if trump can get these people on board get a uh, mandate from the people to secure the border because build the wall and basically lock her up and drain the swamp with the three big slogans then so be it i will reach across the aisle and be friends with these folks who seem to have come over onto my side of the aisle and we'll see how it goes from there but now What has occurred and what I feared was going to happen is that the whole idea behind not just traditional conservatism, but even the policies that we wanted, build the wall and such, 
all fell by the wayside. And and around this time, I had met Maria Albanese, and her and I talked about this. And once we became disenchanted with Trump, once we realized we weren't getting the policies that we had supported and campaigned for, we started to say to ourselves, and this was publicly on some podcasts, what the hell? You know, we ended up getting this uh, parade, or as Peter just said a month ago, this heterogeneous group, okay, a diverse in character or content. And it, well, yes, it was diverse in characters, folks. <laughs> and yes, it was diverse in content. But what we did is we flooded all of these folks that really ideologically did not align with anything we actually wanted it was almost like it was done on purpose to water down and end once and for all the final vestiges of conservatism in this country and it goes a lot deeper than that but that's what we ended up with basically a clown show and you would have to say to yourself well, in the end, what did that do? It created chaos. And from that chaos will come order. And that order now appears to be this idea of a technocratic king. And so I think that is the push we are going to see, this Curtis Yarvin idea. So they have totally watered down uh, the, the right, and now they call it the new right, and there's nothing right about it anymore. No one is talking about border security other than Peter Thiel's electronic prison wall system that he built, which really is just being tested at the border to be used on us. Uh, But there's no more of that talk. And so if the technocratic king comes into place, what is he doing other than installing a prison planet, the cyber prison planet matrix that we will all live in? So I believe this was all done intentionally, and I will eventually continue to go down the path to investigate Peter Thiel's involvement in building up the new right. There's many, many, many who believe that a number of these influencers were paid for uh, by Peter Thiel and came up through Peter Thiel. Also, Steve Bannon has managed many of them. Look, you have Curtis Yarvin saying that he really respected the authoritarian power of Lenin and Napoleon. Steve Bannon has said that he is a Leninist. Yarvin wants to tear down the entire system and says reboot it, reset it, and replace it with this monarchy, where Steve Bannon has also said, like Lenin, he wants to tear down the entire system. Well, what... what are we talking about here you can tear down the entire system or you can restore the system now some may believe that it is so corrupt it needs to be torn down now if you say we're going to reset it back to the constitution or we're going to reset it back to the articles of confederation or we're going to reset it back to you know the, the declaration of independence and then rebuild a new constitution Okay, let's have a conversation about that. But you were literally talking about tearing down the entire system and replacing it with a monarchy, which will be coupled with a technocracy, which will be fascist communism. So do you see where I'm going with this, folks? You have Thiel one month ago talking about this new movement, which is supposedly the conservative movement, which is heterogeneous, which is diverse in character or content, 
right? Which is nothing. It's nothing. It is the new right that he has built. It's called the new right, but it is nothing more than a chaotic mess of folks who will put on the proverbial MAGA hat when told to do so, and they will cheer on. I think this is what their hopes are. Their plan is they will cheer on whatever comes out of the mouth of whether it be Donald Trump uh, Ron DeSantis or whoever, they have rise as the new political leader. And so they will be able to march them into this idea of fascist communism. I, I'm telling you, like, you could see it clearly. There was a reason uh, this was all done strategically. The QAnon movement, I think at this point, everyone could admit was some cor- sort of psychological warfare uh it was i think some sort of a test basically some kind of mind control thing that that dr james giordano has talked about uh definitely military grade and so there's a purpose for all this and i think it's going to be to walk people into this idea of technocracy they already had andrew yang pushing this stuff uh coming from the democrat side who was backed by elon musk now people believe that elon musk is on the right as they're making him look like he's battling with the federal government that built him up and at the end of the day, he's a minion of Peter Thiel. Again, Thiel was the don of the PayPal mafia. Musk was one of the members of the PayPal mafia. And so you had Musk backing Yang, who pushed the concepts of universal basic income. And I saw that firsthand, folks, when I went to Politicon with Chrissy Piccolo, who had me on her show. I played it here on the Dustin Gold Standard and with Douglas Dakota, who I used to produce for. And we went for, I think, two or three days. It was in Nashville. And we had interviewed all these people on the left, and the majority of them were pushing either Bernie Sanders or Andrew Yang, and they loved, all these young kids loved the idea of universal basic income. So you can see right there uh, that Elon Musk was successful in backing Yang to push the ideas of universal basic income onto the left. Then under Donald Trump, a couple of years later, uh, we ended up with basically universal basic income, which was the stimulus checks released under COVID. So you declare this state of emergency, and then you'll get everybody cheering on getting these checks from the government. To me, that was a test pilot for UBI, folks, universal basic income. All right, so right now we set up Blake Masters. You understand who he is. You understand he's inspired by Curtis Yarvin. He is part of the Thiel Network, basically a protege of Thiel. You have him backed by Donald Trump. You have Donald Trump tied back in to Peter Thiel. We knew that always was going on, but now he's telling Masters to get more money out of Peter Thiel. Then you have this whole movement, this new right this heterogeneous movement coming out of uh, Peter Thiel's mouth a month ago, which is really talking about the idea of this new right, this ragtag army, that there are no principles behind it. There are no principles, there's no ideology, because it is there as a smokescreen for what is going to rise, which is this technocratic transhumanism. So I found this really good article, believe it or not, on uh, Time. Dot com. This is Time Magazine. And I'm going to go through this with you uh, before I get back to the Curtis Yarvin piece. Uh, you know, a lot of these things, you see them years earlier, and then you don't really realize how valuable, how valuable they are. 
and and where the misdirection comes from on these articles that are written by people on the left you know i cover a lot of articles as does maria albanese by people written on the supposed left because they'll tell the truth um but then they'll misdirect their audience and that's the same thing with what happens on our side i told you there are people like i don't know let's just say alex jones use him as an example where 95 percent of what he says is true pretty much a hundred percent of the intelligence he gives you is true but then they try to misdirect you and push you uh in a different direction and you'll see that coming from people like steve bannon and others but with the left they do the same thing they'll get their audience to read about the dangers of peter thiel but then they'll attach him to this is why conservatism or this is why libertarianism is bad and is evil when peter thiel is not a conservative or a libertarian see so that's the misdirection the left uses but the facts about thiel in this are true okay which is why i'm going to use it as a source but just remember, they, they use misdirection to push their audience the left in the other direction. But you won't see these articles come out from the right because the right just automatically has to promote Peter Thiel. They don't give you all the dirt on Peter Thiel. Just like the right will write all the dirt about AOC, but then they'll tell you, you know, they'll give you misdirection. Well, you won't see those articles on the left because they won't dig into AOC. All right, you see how this works? All right, when we get back, let me go through this because this will lead us back to this Curtis Yarvin and we can wrap up with Yarvin and then move back on to technocratic transhumanism and finish up the James Giordano piece. But this is very important, folks. All the pieces are coming together right now. All right, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, I am going to uh, try to read through this timepiece fairly quickly. Um, I don't want to get completely distracted by this, but it's important. It's important that we know this. And some people will say, well, what's the solution? Now we know that Peter Thiel isn't the billionaire who's going to save us. You know, what are we going to do now? I don't know, folks. You know, what are we going to start a new political party? No, no. Uh, how are we going to clean up the Republican Party? I, I, I don't know. The point of this is so that you understand that this is way more dangerous than being driven into the hands of rhinos or neocons. I'm not saying we want to be ruled by rhinos or neocons. I'm just saying try to understand what's coming here. Because these folks are trying to bring this technocratic transhumanism under a technocratic monarch uh they are trying to bait everyone into this idea so this is time.com the article is who's afraid of peter thiel a new biography suggests we all should be paypal co-founder peter thiel is famous for destroying media outlets not paying taxes and becoming a conservative tech billionaire a new biography the contrarian suggests that he is after more than riches time chatted with its author journalist max 
Chafkin. Now, I told you, Peter calls himself a contrarian. He also calls himself a conservative. He also calls himself a libertarian. <laughs> he calls himself many things. He's the head of the heterogeneous movement. Heterogeneous movement. Jesus, say it right, Dustin. All right, it goes on to say, uh, now, now these are some questions that the journalist who did this asked the author, and then there'll be the author's answers. So the journalist says, why should we care about Peter Thiel, apart from the fact that he is another rich tech billionaire, and they're all weirdly fascinating? And so Max Chafkin, who wrote The Contrarian, says, I think that Peter Thiel is secretly the most important person in Silicon Valley. He's this behind-the-scenes player who is behind so many of the really important things that we have ha- that have happened over the last two decades. See, this is what I'm telling you. You won't see this come from the right. That's why you have to go to left-leaning news sometimes. It says, obviously, Facebook is one of the world's largest companies. A lot of people think it's uniquely bad for the world. And a lot of people are super skeptical of Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook's CEO. And, of course, Thiel is behind Facebook. So, you know, many people believe that Facebook was LifeLog, which grew out of DARPA. And so, again, if you if you believe this, then you have to understand that Thiel was behind the public face of LifeLog, which is Facebook, right? So how can you be for Peter Thiel or any of the candidates that he owns or any of his ideas if at the same time you believe that Facebook was DARPA's LifeLog and it's tracking on everyone everywhere? That means Thiel was the guy they handed it to to turn it into this public company and get people to adopt it under the banner of Mark Zuckerberg, right? You see, I mean, just break these things down. And that's why I said I'm going to need a chalkboard soon to start drawing all these things out for everybody and making all these uh, connections. All right, it says um, Thiel is behind Facebook. He was the first outside money in the company. He is also the person who basically set up Mark Zuckerberg to be Mark Zuckerberg and turned him into this imperial CEO who is now arguably more powerful than a lot of world leaders. A lot of people are really excited about cryptocurrency, and you can connect it back to PayPal, which is the company that Thiel co-founded in the late 1990s with an explicitly libertarian ethos. I, I told you guys before that PayPal was basically the first digital currency, and it was totally 100% uh, created with the cooperation uh, of the government it was allowed to exist the government could have just shut it down if it wanted to there's this aspect of crypto world now where people are really excited about the idea of taking power away from institutions and governments and that's something that Thiel and his libertarian brethren that were starting that company were really interested in it's not something that happens accidentally okay so see that's just as a teaching moment for you that's the misdirection So the idea that Theo is behind uh, Facebook and the rise of Mark Zuckerberg is correct. They're not going to tell you that the government was involved with that. Misdirection number one. But the facts in here are important because you see that the left is at least being educated on Peter Thiel. The second part is, yes, PayPal was the very beginning of this idea of cryptocurrency and it rose to power and the adoption campaign came because so many people were hooked on eBay and PayPal became this payment system uh, used with eBay and that's how they ran the adoption campaign on that for those of you who, who didn't live through that world. 
But then what they say is this idea of crypto is to take power away from the government uh, and the government institutions, painting the government and the institutions of the government as if they're good, and that this conservative libertarian idea of crypto is to take away the power from the government, when in fact it's all done in cooperation with the government, as you see, central bank digital currency will be what comes out of the last 10 years of the crypto world, which was really just the test pilot beta program for CBDC. And you also know that Peter Thiel, through the Thiel Fellowship, which was run by the Thiel Foundation, which was run by Blake Masters, (laughs) see how it all connects, folks, Uh, set up the gentleman that created Ethereum, which is basically the cryptocurrency used to run most of the metaverse worlds and the non-fungible tokens, all right? Again, that's all Peter Thiel. They don't say that in the article. That's the misdirection. But you see how intertwined Thiel is to everything? It says, do you see Thiel as dangerous? And Max says, it's really important that we understand the ideology of Silicon Valley. Five of the top ten companies in the world are tech companies. They exert an enormous cultural and economic influence over our lives. They're also partnered in with the government on almost every level. He's not telling you that. Again, a piece of misdirection. So he's saying that Thiel's going after the uh, government with crypto. And then he's now telling you that five of the top 10 tech companies, five of the top 10 companies in the world are tech companies, but he doesn't tell you those are all partnered in with the government. Uh, We can get into that at a later time, folks. He goes, those companies have been really successful at telling a story about the world and their place in the world. We're just trying to make the world a better place. Thiel comes with a very different perspective. He comes out of activist conservative media. I think it's really important that we explore the idea of what somebody like Peter Thiel believes. When you start peeling back the layers, what you find is this very out there political and economic philosophy that I think is a little bit scary, right? But he's not telling you. See, he's trying to paint this idea of this conservative libertarian outlaw. What he's not telling you is that Peter Thiel is behind uh, technocracy and transhumanism. All right. But again, this is important for you to understand this because a lot of what they're saying is true. They just misdirect you. Okay. I'll always pull it back into the to the message it should be there. It says, what do you find scary about his economic and political philosophy? The author says, it's bordering on fascism. Now, that's good. That's good. It is bordering on fascism. But this guy parallels fascism to conservatism or libertarianism because that's the label that Peter Thiel wears on his sleeve. It says, Thiel taught this class at Stanford and then turned it into a book called Zero to One, again, co-authored by Blake Masters, who we started out with. It says he talks about how companies are better run than governments because they have a single decision maker, a dictator, basically. All right. And we'll get more into Zero to One later. But yes, this is the idea behind Zero to One. Thiel is hostile to the idea of democracy. That's pretty scary when you consider the role the companies that he's been involved in play. Facebook, I'd say, is the most influential media entity in the history of humanity, but Thiel also has a major stake in several defense contractors, including SpaceX. Okay, so he's 100% right on that, and he's saying he has a stake in several defense contractors, right? But he makes Thiel look like as he's coming to subvert the government, but Thiel is doing this stuff in partnership with the government. At the end of the day, the government hires the defense contractors. So if the government didn't want to do business with Peter Thiel, they wouldn't. But in fact, 
the government, the CIA, via its venture firm, InQtel, was the initial investor in Palantir, Peter Thiel's data company, which is embedded in almost every government agency. All right. See, this is the stuff they leave out here. But there's important stuff like zero to one talking about, you know, having a dictator run the company. And as you can see, this is the type of uh, system in which Thiel sees would run the country. Now, I'm sure Thiel would not like a dictator that tells him to get the hell out of here. He wants a dictator that he controls, right? Or a dictator that will enact a technocracy run by his scientists, engineers, and technologists, or eventually run by his artificial intelligence. Goes on to ask, he would explain it as belief in efficiency and results, right? He would not say, quote, I don't think everybody has the right to vote, end quote. The author says there would be some rationale, and in fact, at various times, Thiel has walked back things he said. His whole thing is being slippery, but I think when you look at the body of what he's done and the things he's been involved with, what's the picture that emerges? And and that's what we're talking about here. He constantly contradicts himself, all right, and a lot of the things he says are ironic, but it's the same as Elon Musk, you know, with saying that AI is dangerous and it's going to destroy humanity while at the same time building the AI that's going to destroy humanity. Excuse me. It goes on to say a lot of people were very surprised that this nerdy, gay, Californian son of immigrants, tech, uh, techpreneur, like an entrepreneur in tech, decided to support Donald Trump's presidency. Was it just the pure, I'm going to shut down government aspect of Trump's policies that he liked? Now, you know that Peter Thiel isn't for shutting down the government because he has billions of dollars in contracts with the United States government. He's embedded in all these government agencies. It goes on to say, if you look at his convention speech, which I think was a really good speech, he talks about Trump as this guy who's going to shake things up, who's going to remake government. So I think that's one part of it. The other part of it is Thiel is very committed to the idea of being able to say the unpopular thing. That's a core part of what Trump was. That's this idea that Theo calls himself a contrarian, by the way. Like, he is the disruptor, he's on the outside, he's against the norm. Goes on to say, I also think that Thiel is a really savvy investor and he correctly diagnosed that Trump had a pretty good chance of winning and that there wasn't a lot of downside to betting on him. He didn't formally endorse Trump during the 2020 election, but if you look at the candidates he's now supporting, they're Trumpers. J.D. Vance, who's running for Senate in Ohio, was an employee of Peter Thiel's and an investor in his fund. Before announcing that he was going to run for Senate, Vance said that he was wrong in 2016 to oppose Trump, and around the same time, he got this $10 million donation from Thiel to his super PAC. See, there's the super PAC, so Thiel... Gave it right to the super PAC. It says another candidate that Thiel is supporting in the coming cycle is Blake Masters, who is literally an employee. He runs Thiel's foundation, right? So there you go. They're, they're openly talking about this, but they're making it appear that these guys, Vance and Masters, are behind Trump. They're Trumpers, when in fact they're really Thielites or Thielists. I don't know what you'd call them. Goes on to ask, did Theo get blowback about the January 6th attack on Congress? 
The author says, I think certainly his reputation in certain corners of the establishment has suffered, but I don't think he really cares about the blowback. He seems to really take pleasure in that. It goes on to ask, do you have a guess at his net worth? And this is something I brought up to Maria Albanese today when I talked to her. The author says, there's an estimate of $6 billion, but I have talked to people who think actually quite a bit higher than that. And then, um, folks, the reason why I believe that is because you're reading these numbers. He's throwing around $15 million to Blake Masters. He's putting $50 million into this company, $100 million into this company. Okay, a guy with only $6 billion can't throw money around like that. Not a, You wouldn't give one candidate $15 million, folks. You know, you, you just you wouldn't do that. You, you couldn't. You just couldn't do that. All right, folks, let's finish this up when I get back because we've got to move on to a couple other pieces here. But I just want you to really have an understanding here of Peter Thiel. And in the business world, he promotes this idea of having a dictator run these companies. And on the outside, he's backing people like Curtis Yarvis, who are out there pushing the idea of a dictator to run the country, folks. This is Peter Thiel that we are looking into. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold of the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard, and this is pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks. So, as I said, if this guy only has $6 billion, he wouldn't be throwing around $15 million to one candidate. All right, it goes on to say there's an estimate of $6 billion, but I have talked to people who think it's actually quite a bit higher than that. One reason is that he has been incredibly adept at finding clever ways to limit his tax exposure. Those investments in Facebook, in Palantir, Palantir was funded by the CIA money via InQtel, the venture arm of the CIA, in which is... Uh, Palantir is embedded in all these government agencies. We've covered that before. And uh, some others were made through his investing vehicle known as a Roth IRA that was originally intended for middle-class taxpayers. Through some very clever tax planning, Thiel has managed to stash up billions of dollars in his tax-free account. So, see, that's the kind of stuff that he is doing to shield and hide uh, some of his money. More power to him on that front. Any chance you have at keeping the IRS out of your uh, business's uh I commend you on that, but what they don't mention in this article, folks, is that while Peter Thiel is stashing his money away and getting around the IRS, his company Palantir, right there mentioned in this answer, which would have been a good place for this author to insert it, is that Palantir signed a $100 million contract under Donald Trump in 2018. Palantir was originally created... Uh, as I said, with CIA money via the venture arm in QTEL for the purpose of hunting down 
terrorists via their financial transactions. And now Palantir is inside of the IRS with this $100 million contract. The last I looked at, it was a $100 million contract for the purpose of tracking you down by your financial transactions. Not only that, they have the right to look at your phone records, your social media posts, and other data. So I guess in the end, we are the terrorists, folks. We are the terrorists. The Palantir is hunting down. So Peter Thiel's company is working with the IRS to harass you. Uh, while at the same time, he is using all of these loopholes to protect his money. Unbelievable racket, is it not, folks? Peter Thiel is a smart guy. Meanwhile, he wants to push for a dictator king to rule over you underneath his technocracy, which will be run by AI, AI like Palantir, which is going to be knocking at your door uh, with an IRS agent soon. It goes on to say, uh, when that story that he used Roth IRAs to massively lower his taxes broke, there was an outrage at somebody who had made so much money in America was not contributing to the national purse. Do you think he cared? The author says some of the ideology that motivated PayPal and the motives uh, and that motivates a lot of this crypto stuff that has happened since is all about going beyond nations it's about this idea that individuals should have more power than nations and should be able to basically do whatever they want it's about undermining the national interest and making sure they don't contribute to it so first off there's so many contradictions in the way that the author looks at this but at the same time the way that Thiel operates because if Thiel was helping create paypal to eventually lead to crypto and we know he's instrumental in crypto through his uh one of his henchmen that created ethereum and that is to undermine the national interest the nation state then how would Peter Thiel be against the idea of globalism, as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, and be for nationalism? Because if he's for nationalism, but then he also is a libertarian who's for open borders, uh, but then he wants to also be an isolationist, how does all this work together, folks? It can't come together. See, the idea is to undermine the idea of a nation state to then topple the at least the illusion of a constitutional republic in order to bring in a worldwide technocracy, which is the same thing that Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum are on board with, even though Peter Thiel claims to be on the outs with the World Economic Forum. You can see how all this comes together because a worldwide technocracy run on an international central bank digital currency undermines the nation state only to erase the idea of the national government and create this one world system with a free flow of immigration and people but they would all be operating under the prison planet technocracy you see how that all comes together it's slick folks they are slick this guy thought this out i i don't know if there's anyone else out there that are putting all the pieces of this together but I think we're getting close. Uh, it's making a lot of sense, but you have to read from all these different sources to really get a good grasp on what he's doing. And then you have to be aware of the misdirection in articles like this, or this author just doesn't know. They might not know or realize this because they're only investigating this from, say, a liberal viewpoint instead of trying to see this uh, from all directions. 
But yes, yeah, so you have him undermining this national interest, which would erase the nation state to bring in a one world government, which is globalism, free flow of the people. It will all operate under a one world government. So he's not returning uh, power uh, to individuals. The individuals become the slaves of the technocratic system. It says, do you see Thiel as an outlier among his tech brethren or as an exemplar? It says the conventional wisdom is Thiel is an outlier. He's like the one conservative guy in this relatively liberal industry. He is anything but a conservative. It goes on to say, I think that is basically wrong. Many of the things he believes are reflected in the actions and behavior of many of his peers. Yes, they may have some disagreements. Many of his peers may vote for Democrats, but the idea that companies should basically be able to do whatever they want, that democracy isn't the most important value, these things are reflected in the decisions and actions that many Silicon Valley companies are making, even Silicon Valley companies that are run by ostensibly liberal progressives, right? So I don't know, I didn't read this book. But it'd be interesting to know if this author figures out that the reason why he's seeing people that supposedly ally with, you know, liberal progressivism or people that claim to ally with conservative libertarianism like Peter Thiel, why at the end of the day they believe that the companies they're running and Silicon Valley as a whole should be able to do whatever they want is because they are in a partnership with the government, a public-private partnership in which the outsourcing of the governance of the people that live under that government are being run by the so-called private sector through the technology, right? That is the technocracy, folks. See, it, it all comes together. It goes on to say, in the beginning of the book, you paint a portrait of Thiel as a bullied child. Other kids put for sale signs in his yard and then ask when he was leaving and so on. Was that the cradle of his reactionaries? I think he was bullied as a child. And I think that it's not surprising that somebody who maybe had a tough time navigating a place like Stanford would develop a strong uh, revulsion to the idea of universities like Stanford and would undertake a project to replace or critique, critique these universities. Theo famously funds a fellowship where he encourages promising young people to start companies instead of going to college, and he's been a prominent critic of colleges. But he's also, but he's only a halfway critic. He says in a thousand different ways that Stanford is worthless, but he keeps teaching classes at Stanford. He keeps hiring Ivy League graduates. Correct. And at the same time, he pays these kids to leave and run these startup companies under his incubator, and then he has the first chance to come in and make an investment and then own these kids. That's what he's doing, folks. Goes on to say most, it's basically Hitler Youth, Theo Youth Program is what we'd call it. It goes on to say most of your sources are anonymous. Why do you think people who spoke to you spoke to you? It says Thiel's pretty unique in that he was involved in this elaborate and secretive litigation campaign that resulted in the destruction of a pretty substantial media outlet when he secretly funded Hulk Hogan's lawsuit against Gawker Media, which resulted in this roughly $100 million judgment. So I would talk to people and they would be like, quote, I'm a little afraid of him, end quote. I wouldn't really know what to say because I think there's actual reason for people to be afraid of Peter Thiel.
Okay. Few more here, folks. It says, are you personally worried? He said, I'd be lying if I said that Thiel's litigation against Gawker didn't weigh in on me. And I think you'd be foolish to not think about that. That said, it's not productive to be afraid. Now, I agree, but maybe part of this is uh, misdirection, sort of propaganda to get people like me to be afraid of Peter Thiel or Mike Moore because we syndicate our podcast through pain.tv slash gold. But, you know, at the end of the day, I've never really been afraid. I know there's a couple hot topics that you can't discuss publicly or you'll be censored and shut down, even though some of those I want to get into myself. But I, I those things, I, if you get shut down, then what's the point? I mean, if Peter Thiel wanted to sue a little outfit like us, it would probably make us grow. So come on us, Peter Thiel. Instead, come on the show and let's talk about the technocratic transhumanism that you're pushing onto the globe under the guise of being a contrarian conservative libertarian with a a heterogeneous movement oh that's peter thiel for you no i don't i haven't really worked on a thiel impression it goes on to say thiel has been right a lot i wonder if there's a bit of you thinking quote if he's been right about these things what should i be looking for now the author says recently he gave a speech where he discuss, uh, where he dissed Bitcoin, which was a weird thing, and and I think we covered that here, folks. If somebody who played a big role in the beginning of digital money is suddenly saying that maybe crypto is bad for the interests of the United States, we should pay attention. There's an extent to which he's a great uh, prognosticator, a great futurist, but he's also a marketer of himself, and he's been very good at accentuating the calls that have been right and playing down the calls that have been wrong. And one of the reasons why I believe that happened with Bitcoin is because he is behind Bitcoin's biggest competitor, Ethereum. Goes on to say, you note that he has funded two senators, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, and is now funding two more candidates. Do you worry he'll wield outsized power uh, over government? The author says, I have to say I worry less about the grandstanding of a handful of senators connected to Thiel than I do about the effect of Thielism on the culture. When you combine the hostility to democracy and institutional norms with the bankroll of a billionaire, you can potentially do some damage. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting for us to see if we could get this author. My guess is he's too big, but maybe I can have Mike Moore reach out to him because I want to know. And I, with the baby coming, I'm not going to have time to read this book. If anybody read this book, please reach out to me at goldatpain.tv. But it'd be interesting to know if this author has figured out uh, that Peter Thiel is trying to work in the idea of this technocratic system of which, because he's invested in so many companies, he will have basically a seat on the board of directors, if not be the CEO of the technocracy himself, sort of a shadow CEO. All right, folks, when we get back from this break, I am going to show you, uh, we're going to jump, as I said in the beginning of the show, but I'm going to explain to you this idea of unitary executive theory. And this is very important because as we get back to Curtis Yarvin tomorrow and we further explore the concepts, the ideology that he has been sharing with Peter Thiel on how to anoint a technocratic monarch 
a king of the technocracy, this idea of unitary executive theory is going to come into play. And I don't think anyone has talked about this yet. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard. I'll be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Ping.tv slash gold. You know, one of the crazy parts about this, folks, is that Peter Thiel was one of the biggest not the first investor in Spotify, and now Spotify owns the syndication software that we have to use. So, I don't know, folks. We are operating in uh, in some crazy times, you know, battling the technocrats that own the platforms in which you have to rely on in order to get your message out to expose to educate people on the very technocrats. I mean, we're fighting a war on their battlefield, but it is what it is, and we just do what we have to do, folks. So eventually, I don't know, I've been starting to have some talks with Mike Moore. We're talking about some strategies, but just to let you guys know, I mean, eventually, if the consolidation of the podcast market continues to happen, there may be a time that we're only over at pain.tv slash gold. So... I know, folks, I know. It's a few dollars a month or whatever, but uh, it, it may be the only way that this is allowed to continue. I, I would have to venture to guess that within a couple of years, just like they do with YouTube where they're constantly shutting people down, that podcasts will start to be shut down at a higher level as well. All right, let me, let me show you this because this is really important. Um, so we got Blake Masters out of the way. I wanted to do that for you because we know Blake Masters is inspired by Curtis Yarvin. Uh, We know that Blake Masters obviously is the backing of Trump. We know that Blake Masters is the protege of Peter Thiel at the highest, highest levels, okay? And now we have some more information uh, on Peter Thiel. We have this book that was co-written by Blake Masters and Peter Thiel, uh, Zero to One, Many of you have probably read it, but advocates for this idea of a dictator inside of a company. We'll get into that a little bit more in the future. And that this is what this Yuval Noah Harari of the new right of this uh, heterogeneous movement that Peter Thiel talks about, the gang of circus freaks that has become the so-called conservative movement, uh, is running around and and will be pushing this idea, I think, of the rise of the king. You know, many, many actually advocated for something similar. I just don't think they had, I don't think the narrative was shaped yet, but that's basically what this idea of Trump under QAnon, he was going to rise to power, he was going to arrest everybody. Um, you know, we were all on board with it, but we didn't understand what was actually behind it. I think we're starting to put the pieces of this together now i'm back at this vox article i'm not going to read from this right now but i just want to remind you 
uh, the ideas behind Yarvin's plan, his very detailed plan. So first he wants, and he, let's just call it Trump, because he's saying he'd love to see Trump do this. And we know Trump is at least back in the game. We don't know if he's technically running. Um, and again, to me, elections don't matter. This is just part of the sales campaign. But he wants Trump to campaign on this idea and to win, all right, so that he has a you know, mandate from the people to move forward into a position of rising as a monarch, as a king. And then he wants him to purge the federal bureaucracy and create a new one. And the idea was to fire everyone inside of government and have these specially selected people that would come in and replace them he wants him to ignore the courts effectively making the judicial uh, branch of government irrelevant and as i said along the way where is the answer to what happens to at least the illusion of due process he wants him to uh co-op congress the idea is to basically install all these people like Blake Masters and J.D. Vance into positions, but then effectively render the legislative branch of government, you know, ineffective, you know, erase it. So the idea, the illusion of your representative government is then gone, okay? He wants him to centralize the police and government powers. So what he wants Trump to do is to take all of the local police and to centralize them under federal command, basically a federal police force, and then uh, abolish state and local governments. So now you just have one giant federal government overseeing the entire country at this point with all the police concentrated under the power of the king. So everyone answers to the king. Then shut down elite media and academic institutions. So he wants him to shut down all the news media, which you know, effectively is run out of Operation Mockingbird, the government anyway, and then all the academic institutions, all the universities that are funded by the government anyway. And then basically have an app where Trump could command the people to turn out, like in January 6th fashion, anytime anyone in the government is refusing to enact the policies of the king, of which he tells you will come from the will of the people, which he does not explain up to this point in the article. And he says we will do this basically using state emergency powers. And so the state emergency powers come out of as I said, we saw them tested under COVID land, the high school theater production by Trump. All right. The ability to even authorize at best untested vaccines uh, on human beings. Right. So we saw a lot of the state emergency power tested under Trump. Now, I mentioned this yesterday and the day before, so I wanted to bring it up for you uh, just so you could start thinking about this. Uh, before we get to the next show. But this is a piece from jwjusticejournal.com. This is George Washington University Pre-Law Student Association, the Justice Journal. It says, Vice President Dick Cheney's ascent to power under President George W. Bush appeared to grant him the powers and privileges of the presidency. This supposition was depicted in 2018's feature film, Vice. Uh, If you haven't seen that, check it out. It's done by the same director who, uh, Adam McKay, who did uh, The Big Short, if you've ever seen that. I'll talk a little bit more in depth about that as well uh, tomorrow. 
It says the film presents a multitude of real life events, political jargon, and legal terminology. One example of this was the repeated use of the term, quote, unitary executive authority, end quote, unitary executive theory, I'm sorry, end quote. According to the Yale Law Journal, the unitary executive theory holds that, quote, the executive is headed by a single person, not a collegial body, and that single person is the ultimate policy maker with all others subordinate to him, end quote. In other words, the president's power is restricted only by the United States Constitution, while Congress has little to no check on the White House. This has led to a fierce debate that questions the extent of presidential power. Despite this, Dick Cheney and his staff drafted memos that drew on years of judicial uh, jurisprudence to justify their actions. The effects of the unitary theory could be seen in full force after the 9-11 attacks when the Bush administration orchestrated many questionable uh, acts under the veil of national security. There are several judicial precedent that are cited to provide validity to the claims of the unitary executive theory. The case Myers versus United States was brought to the United States Supreme Court on December 5th, 1923. In this case, a postmaster was removed by the president without the approval of Senate. According to precedent, quote, postmasters of the first, second, and third classes shall be appointed and may be removed by the president by and with the advice and consent of the Senate, end quote. The Supreme Court questioned whether or not the 1876 federal statute restricted the president's constitutional powers. On October 25, 1926, the court came to the conclusion that the law did restrict the president's powers. The court further argued that the founders drafted the Constitution as vesting in the president alone the power to remove officers. Another case that was dealt with executive privilege is United States v. Nixon, argued on July 8, 1874. In the aftermath of the Watergate scandal, there was a significant amount of evidence to suggest that President Nixon was complicit. When subpoenaed, he resisted by providing edited versions of the tape recordings. President Nixon wanted to quash the subpoena because he believed he had the authority to do so under his executive privilege. In the opinion of United States v. Nixon, the court stated that, quote, President's counsel, as we have noted, reads the Constitution as providing an absolute privilege of confidentiality for all presidential communications. It is emphatically the province and duty of the Judicial Department to say what the law is, end quote. This means that they do not agree Uh, That means they do agree that there are executive privileges. However, in this particular case, they felt it did not apply. John Yu, Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Office of the Legal Counsel of the U.S. Department of Justice, served in the Bush administration from 2001 to 2003. Yu was an early supporter of the unitary executive theory. He has gone on record stating that, quote, we are used to a peacetime system in which Congress enacts the laws, the president enforces them, and the courts interpret them. In wartime, the gravity shifts to the executive branch, end quote. Now, remember, folks, this is me speaking. What did Donald Trump keep saying during COVID? 
We are fighting a war against an invisible enemy. This is a war against an invisible enemy. COVID is an invisible enemy, right? So under wartime, then the executive can gain all of this power, right? The gravity shifts to the executive branch. And so you have the state of emergency. You have Yarvin calling for doing all of this under a state of emergency. It goes on to say this legal philosophy coupled with being a phone call away from the president foreshadowed events soon to come in Middle East. Another important member of Vice Cheney's staff was David Addington, who served as the vice president's chief of staff. He shared Yu's philosophy on executive power during wartime. Both Yu and Addington helped draft memos that utilized the unitary executive theory on behalf of Dick Cheney to allow the president to wield unchecked power over the military. Let me see here, folks. It says, although the president is the commander-in-chief, there are restrictions placed on his military authority. However, the unitary executive theory would allow President Bush to expand his powers during times of war, which was observed after 9-11. Also observed during COVID land, the high school theater production. According to the American Constitution Society, the unitary executive theory allows the president to control military force, the detention and interrogation of prisoners, extraordinary rendition and intelligence gathering. President Bush also utilized aggressive signing statements, which granted him the ability to expand presidential power. This allowed President Bush to interpret the Constitution, quote, in a manner consistent with his constitutional authority to supervise the unitary executive branch, end quote. Many questioned the extent to which President Bush expanded presidential power. Journalist Scott Horton stated that, quote, we may not have realized it, but in the period from late 2001 to January 19, 2009, this country was a dictatorship, end quote. Being able to bypass Congress and implement a wide range of policies with little to no congressional approval made it look like he could practically do whatever he wanted. Although the aggressive use of the unitary theory has not been in full effect since the early 2000s, it has resurfaced in mainstream politics. The newly appointed Justice Kavanaugh finds the unitary executive theory necessary in specific cases. In his dissent in PHH Corporation v. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, he writes that, quote, the Constitution lodges all executive power in the hands of the president, end quote. The case revolved around Congress forming the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau to prevent the reoccurring problems that led to the 2008 housing market crash. The CFPB structure is led by a single director who could only be removed for a, quote, good cause, end quote, like insufficiency and neglect of duty, but not only disagreement. Justice Kavanaugh believes that this is within the president's authority to remove executive heads, although the U.S. appeals court did side with the CFPB, Justice Kavanaugh now takes that same philosophy with him to the Supreme Court. 
And this finally ends with, for years, the unitary executive theory has been at the crux of debates that question the extent of executive power. Many believe that it implies a situation where the president is in a position to commit gross abuses of presidential power. Others believe that it is necessary for there to be a strong unitary executive, especially during wartime. Because of this, they admire the unitary theory. President Bush and Vice President Dick Cheney utilized the theory and justified its use with years of jurisprudence. The unitary executive theory is still in the Department of Justice records, which means it can still be cited at any time. The unitary executive theory has given the president the means necessary to bypass Congress and wield immense power, and history shows just how all-encompassing that power really is. Folks, there is so much that comes out of this. Don't think for one moment that Curtis Yarvin and extending over to Peter Thiel that they have not studied unitary executive theory because to do what they're talking about, they would have to use unitary executive theory. And we will eventually look into this and see if unitary executive theory was used at all during COVID land, the high school theater production, because if it was, if it was, then Donald Trump, whether he knew it or not, I don't care if you like him, you trust him, you think he was a useful idiot, you think he was a Trojan horse, it does not matter, then under his presidency, unitary executive theory was tested to the fullest degree. And that would be the test case that allows for what will be the next phase, which is not the overthrowing of the bureaucratic state or the deep state. It will be the installation of the technocratic transhumanist regime concentrated under the power, or at least under the illusion of a king, of a monarch, who was handed the mandate of the people to tear down the constitutional republic, to throw the constitution and the Bill of Rights out the window, to erase our history and replace it, replace it with a fascist, communist technocracy run by a shadow puppet named Peter Thiel, and possibly coming out of the private side of this, a rise of a technocratic king named Elon Musk. So you may see Donald Trump pushing these concepts from within the political system through the quote-unquote public sector. And you will see Elon Musk continue to push this from outside, from the so-called private sector. But the guy behind the scenes, the puppet master lurking in the shadows on this, would be Peter Thiel. Now, who does he work for? Who does he answer to? That, I'm not sure of. But I'm telling you, folks, all of the pieces from all these stories and all these reports tie together. And this all fits in to what we've been talking about. For the last 71 episodes, 72 episodes, whatever it is, is technocratic transhumanism. Because that is the governing ideology behind this entire system. So as they continue to push forward, as they normalize these ideas, as they desensitize people to this stuff, as they get people to hate and be disgusted with the government more and more, the idea of constitutional uh, representative government will be thrown out the window 
and a technocracy will be installed. And they are going to use some of the tricks, some of the loopholes written into our government like unitary executive theory to do this. But the idea behind it is a complete and total coup, ladies and gentlemen. They will install the technocracy. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard. Thank you for listening to pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion. at pain.tv slash gold.